It's time, time for another live podcast. Hello and welcome to Nerd vs. World, episode 77. Mr. Woo! Nerd goes to Southampton. Woo-hoo. I'm Brendan. I'm Spindles. And on today's very special live debut episode, we've got a positive sack full of stuff to talk about. <laughs> we have indeed. It's been a little while yeah, since we've been, been on the air, so it, it, it's nice to be back in a, in a live where everything can fail miserably <laughs> in a heartbeat. So no pressure. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've made a list. Um, You've done prep. I know. That's entirely unlike you. <laughs> So we've got Logan to talk about. Yes, that now? I have now seen Logan, yes. I watched Life the other night. Ah, I, I saw the trailer for Life before Logan, and I can't say I'm in- impressed. Yeah, I, I accidentally <laughs> saw a horror film. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, not a fan of horror films. Um, Iron Fist. Ah, yes, yes. And then there's a couple of more bits and bobs. I have this weird theory about um, a weird science in the Breakfast Club that I came across whilst doing the Ready Player One challenge. Um talk about that for a bit yeah if anyone hasn't come across the ready player one challenge there's there's a we'll put a link to it later on there's a, a list of all the films that we believe are referenced in the ready player one novel and this is our second attempt at <laughs> trying to watch all of those films in one year yeah the first attempt failed hideously <laughs> and then of course there's been a lot of trailer dump recently um alien covenant has had two trailers um justice league trailer debut yesterday it's going to the galaxy and wherever else we get to. But first, I just want to say, did you have a good time for your birthday, young man? <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you very much, yes. Uh, for, yeah, for those of you who don't know, it, it was my, my 40th birthday the other weekend, and as part of the celebrations for that, it just so happened that the MMORPG show came to my local town and in the venue I was looking at hiring for my birthday. So, uh, yeah, I ended up... Oddly, I ended up on stage as part of the event uh, and was playing the part of an albino lemur who was an albino lemur magician on a search for a person who murdered someone in a cheese shop, I believe. was Murdered a cheese shop. Yeah, Yeah. a a fromage affray, which was my my favourite pun that I made of the evening. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was great fun. I mean, we'd seen the the MMORPG show a couple of years ago at Nine Worlds and it was just, as fate would have it, it happened to be in town when I needed to celebrate. And it was great. It was a fantastic evening. Lovely to see people from all over the country. People came down from, you know, from Dundee for it. It was, it was pretty awesome. I was broken for days afterwards. My, my left knee was just absolutely shot from dancing. I was fine the next day. It was two days later. I always get, I always get kind of delayed Mosher's neck these days. I think when you, when you, when you hit your late 30s, Mosher's neck tends to happen a couple of days after, and then it lasts for a good week. Yeah. I suppose 40 is technically late 30s, isn't it? I'll let you off for that one. Well, it was late 30s, and, and, and then, yeah. Now, now I'm early forty. Oh God, that means I've got to change the the tagline on the podcast. Yeah, because the tagline says about two thirty something. I'm not in Oxford anymore. Oh so. no! <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Update in a second. Um, <laughs> no problems. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so I drove back. I got home at half past four in the morning. Back to Worcester, wow. and I couldn't walk up the stairs when I got in. My, my knees. Yeah, really yeah. I, I've got to admit, in hindsight, rolling around and doing air guitar <laughs> solos was probably not the best idea. <laughs> I have on my phone uh, four or five one-second videos of the floor. <laughs> I haven't worked out how to take videos on my phone properly. <laughs> it's all those awesome selfie videos you were doing. 
Not just, a single yeah. one of them came out. Nice, so, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, there are several very, very blurry photos of me looking very sweaty and dead being helped up off the floor. So, yeah. All in all, I think it was a particularly good evening. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> so, yes, thank you for that. I'm reliving the pain. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get on to the serious nerdery. Yes. Let's start with Logan. There's been a lot Let's. of... A lot of talk about Logan. Um, ooh, I've just been mentioned by... The Superpod, amazing. <laughs> See, um, we get interrupted by Twitter and everything. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the wonders of life. We should do this more often. It's well fun. Well, we're going to. We're going to be doing it next weekend. Well, I don't know. Well, we won't be getting broadcast live, but we'll be certainly we'll be recording the show live. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Logan. Yeah, initial thoughts. I thought it was exceptional. I, I, I would tend to agree I, with you, I sir. it was really, really good. Um, I read Ben's review on the site, and i got to say I agree with a lot of it. Um, the start of the film, the first ten minutes, they are having as much fun with their rating as possible, and they are um, free and easy with the F-bomb. Yes, It got indeed. to a point where I was watching it, and I was going, oh, come on, guys, we, we know... We know you got the hard ratings. But, but drop it. N- it never gets old watching Patrick Stewart drop the F bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, that just will never ever get old. <laughs> There's one scene I think where Wolverine's smashing the side of his door in, in, in anger and he just litters the air with F bombs. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah, I remember that bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that aside, I thought it was really well told. I thought the dynamic between Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman was the best it's been. I've got to admit, just before we get into that, I have to kind of put across how confused I was in the first couple of minutes when the Deadpool teaser happened first. I didn't get that. I went to the midnight previews and we didn't get the Deadpool teaser. Ah, right, you see, because it started up and I was like, "What? what's going That's Deadpool. Why Why? Why is Deadpool in the... I know they're in the same universe and, and they're technically all part of the same franchise, but, but why, why is Logan opening with... Deadpool and, and there's a poster of Logan in the background and uh, this, this is just weird and it took me a couple of minutes to kind of work my brain around to the fact that okay this is another advert yeah. rather than the start of Logan uh, but it, it was uh, have you actually seen it I've since? Seen it, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's utterly fantastic utterly I've seen it. if you've not seen that teaser for Deadpool you just go on YouTube and watch it it's utterly brilliant I've seen it and the response to that teaser has kind of like it's got me towards my soapbox a little bit Oh, okay. Well, I'll strap in. Okay. <laughs> strap in for the nerd rage. It's, it's the same with Iron Fist recently, and and every trailer that comes across, there are usually these trailer breakdowns of all the things you've missed, all the Easter eggs you didn't spot in the Deadpool two teaser trailer. It's like, well, actually, they're fairly obvious. Like, there's a Logan poster. He references Logan. I mean, all the guys who are writing these articles are really saying is all the things. We bet you didn't spot because you're not a super fan. Well, no. <laughs> it's actually, here's all the things that are in the trailer. It's just a clickbait headline to make oh. you click on it and go, oh, is, is there any that I missed? No, there isn't. No, there right, isn't. but I've clicked on the article. I feel so ashamed. But it's getting, <laughs> it's getting so frustrating because you see it all the time. And it's kind of redefining the, the, the term Easter egg. Mm. It used to be that if something had an Easter egg... So you just need to move close to your mic a bit, mate. Sorry. Um... Used to be the term Easter egg meant that you had some you had to go and hunt for either in the DVD menu or a really hidden reference. Like the Expanse has got some great Easter eggs. Like Serenity is mentioned on one of the ship lists in mm. season one. But these things like Logan poster appearing in Deadpool 2 teaser trailer, that's 
not an Easter egg. That's no. a very it's a very blatant, blatant reference. reference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. come on, you're internet savvy enough to know that that's just a clickbait headline. Yes, and it worked. <laughs> you clicked on it and you went through them all. <laughs> I did. <laughs> leaves me feeling salty <laughs> I'm really salty about it but yeah like I don't know back to Logan. anyway back to Logan <laughs> um visceral first few scenes yeah I, absolutely uh, yeah you could see that they were playing with the rating I think you know it, it, some of it I felt was a little bit unnecessary even though you know that they, they were clearly flexing their muscles but yeah. I, was, I was kind of surprised that it came out as a 15 over here because the violence in that was definitely an 18 rating. Mm. I, would have, I would have thought. I imagine it didn't get the 18 rating because there's no frontal nudity and no C-bomb. Mm-hmm. I think that's what tips it over in terms of the sensors. Um, but yeah, it was visceral, which is good because that's what it should be. Um, the language isn't really uh, a massive concern in, in terms of a good adaptation of the source material. But, yeah, the violence was finally there. And, yeah, it was unrelentingly bleak as well. Yeah, I think it really was, and it? it kind of painted a very bleak picture of the future in America as uh, basically saying that America itself wasn't particularly safe or interesting and everywhere they had to go, they had to escape across the border to be safe yeah. in either direction. So, yeah, up to Canada or down to Mexico. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was nice that on the Graham Norton show, Patrick Stewart revealed that he wouldn't be doing another one as well. Mm. So that was kind of cool. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it was a very good swan song for, well, I, I would say for the entire original X-Men franchise. Yeah. I think, you know, if you if you discount a couple of disappointing Wolverine movies and the aberration that is X-Men 3, <laughs> then this forms a nice little kind of coda to the, how, where they got to. Yeah. Um, we can... And it sounds alone a little bit as well, I felt. Well, I think like, it does, but just because it's purely so different to all the rest of the films. I mean, it's essentially a Western. Yeah. You know, it's the old gunslinger who's who's hung up his guns and is forced back into one last mission. It, it, it is the story of Shane, which is even blatantly shown in the film and then is quoted later on at the end. You know, it, it, it's so blatantly an homage to Shane that it's, it's right in your face. Yeah. Um, Although that did just make me think about the conversation in one of the Kevin Smith films about how Shane's dead at the end on the horse and they have a big conversation about it. But uh, that's by the by. <laughs> Star making turn from X twenty three as well. Yeah, no, she was fantastic, was absolutely brilliant. I thought her as just that kind of feral child was utterly, utterly amazing. And I think the pacing was spot on with that. Like, it was getting to a point where her just grunting was starting to get a little bit annoying, and mm. then just as it did, they gave a dialogue in a torrent of Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. I, mean, I, I think uh, I, I'm, I think I'm right in thinking that there must have been some kind of visual effect done on her because she kind of had like uh, weed and vampire esque kind of ridges in her in her forehead when she was attacking people. It looked very much like they kind of vamped her up a bit for those scenes to make her look a bit more feral. I thought that was a, that was an amazing touch. But yeah, her fight scenes were incredible. Um, where do we think we're going to go with that? We. <laughs> 
Where do we think Fox are going to go with that? Do we think what, that there's going to be a whole new slew of next generation mutant films? I would like that. I, I see. Would like uh, the mutants. That would be very, very cool. I think it'd be interesting, but I, d- I don't think it could be sustained in a cinematic universe. I think it'd be nice if they span that off into the TV show, into kind of, you know, where they were going off to and what Eden actually is. That'd be good. Because, um, I mean, it, it was only very, very briefly hinted at what Eden actually was, and a lot of people kind of came out thinking that the building on top of the hill that they went to was Eden, but it wasn't. That was like a staging post. Yeah. And then they crossed the border, and they had a very brief radio contact with someone on the other side who said that, you know, that, that it was okay for them to come over and they'd be provided asylum there. So I think it would be interesting to spin that off into a TV show and explore that a bit further. But then again, I have my usual, usual reservations about Fox creating sci-fi TV shows and killing them after one season. Yeah. We're still fairly bitter about a couple of them. Firefly. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Marvel and their TV tie-ins are actually pretty decent. Uh, even the ones not controlled by Fox. I mean, are ABC Fox? Uh, no, no, no. ABC are different. Uh, the the Marvel TV stuff is well. That's all Netflix. Now you got Netflix with a tie-in with the MCU and, and ABC is Agents of Shield, Shield. and there's Legion. There is Legion. I've not yet watched Legion. Legion's fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Legion is um, up with the Expanse as one of my favourite shows of this new season. Uh, can, can I just have a, a, a reverent moment of silence for the Expanse because it's so good. <laughs> what a show! <laughs> Sorry, I, I absolutely love it. I just binge watched season one again on Netflix. It is even better on a rewatch. Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've rewatched it and more of the ones from the start of this season, especially now since I got finally understood that they were doing one and a half seasons per book at the moment, and that kind of solidified for me why they brought a lot of characters in a lot earlier than I was expecting them. Yeah, it, it's it's an unfair show to every other show out there because it is just too good it really is uh, hard sci-fi in space I think we've gushed about this TV show on a on a number of episodes to be fair but it never gets old yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry it just doesn't I mean, I'm still making my way through the books so See, I'm, I'm now near the end of book four See, I haven't read the books well neither have I audible but you know <laughs> so yeah I don't know expanse aside Legion is is the so what, what's the premise of Legion? Well, Legion is based on a really old Marvel comic. Uh, David, who's the central character, is Charles Xavier's son. Okay. Um, so it's a, Charles Xavier and who? I can't remember who. Okay. Who, who Professor X knocked up? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really confusing show to get into. It took me a few episodes because because it's all about X's son being. Um, this really, really powerful telepath and telekinetic. A lot of it takes place in his brain for the first episode, and then it switches to the other personalities that are inside his brain. Okay. And there's flashbacks to all sorts of things, and it's very much a case of what is real, what is not. And then there's a whole revelation that actually some of what has been his memory has been altered by a secondary external force mm-hmm. if you've read the comics and you have any idea about um, Professor X and some of the people he's battled 
you would know exactly who was doing the manipulating of, of David's mind. Okay. Um, but it's well, it's well worth a watch. It's well worth sticking with. Um, it's got Aubrey Plaza in it, who is just an absolute revelation. And where can one shove that in one's eyeballs? Um, the usual places, uh, if you were to watch it. Okay, yeah, no, nowhere official like Netflix or Amazon or... Uh, I think it, it's actually it's on um, it's on Now TV okay. on Sky Atlantic. So you can catch Legion on that. Right, so Sky Atlantic. Okay, yeah. cool. But yeah, other than that, yeah, go to your um, the usual Us- usual, usual points of procurement. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good. It's it's a it's a different sort of superhero TV show. It's massively different from Agents of Shield. Okay, it's probably not particularly safe for children. Okay. Um, I would say some of the content they deal with is is definitely uh, adult, and some of the um, interpretation of mental illness mm-hmm. is also probably at a level that's probably too much for yeah seven pm okay. TV shows. But it's awesome, confusing as balls, but awesome. Fair enough. We still haven't finished Legend, have we? No, we haven't. Right, no, okay. no. But uh, you, you touched on the mental health thing there, and that, that kind of leads in nicely to what I thought was one of the best handled bits of Logan, which was in how they dealt with Professor X later in life. And yeah, it's the concept of what happens to the greatest mutant mind on Earth when it essentially loses its marbles. Yeah, when it loses control of itself, it's a terrifying prospect. And we saw, uh, you mentioned uh, very briefly earlier on X3. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and. Jean Grey losing control of her mind in that film. We see the sort of devastation that a powerful mind can have. Um, Logan did it so much better. Logan yeah. did everything better. Let's just be straight up that way. <laughs> yeah. From the start, we were always kind of worried about it because it's a, a Fox division of, of yeah. Logan. I, I was cautiously optimistic yeah. that it was going to be a good Wolverine film. When we got the hard R rating in the States, we then became more optimistic. And then when we saw the trailer... Any trailer with Johnny Cash makes anything Absolutely. look amazing. Yeah. But it looked exactly like... It definitely called out to the comics. Yeah. The old comics. The, the whole road trip vibe of X and X and Lane. But yeah, it handled the mental illness thing really well. And I was... That was where... That's where all the, the involvement with the characters came from. Mm. You know? Like, the action scenes were great, but it was actually the relationship between the three characters. X-23, Logan... And Professor X and Caliban. Is yeah, I, I thought Stephen Caliban Merchant was, was fantastic yeah. in that. Yeah, he was fantastic. It was it was the very personal story of the film that made it so engaging. Mm. Um, yeah, he, I, I like the relationships when when he first wanders in, and you see the relationship between him and Caliban and Professor X, and you know they are like an old married couple who are living together, and you know that everything that one does winds up the other to the nth degree, and you know, he started it and he started it. I, I loved that interplay. Yeah, it's the odd couple with claws. Yeah, it's, it's really really good. Um, so I think I kind of agree with Ben's rating as well. I might even push it towards a ten out of ten. Fair um, enough. I think it is. It's right up there as one of the best comic films I've seen. Mm. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately, I don't want to see life, and life <laughs> was oh, life was awful. Um, <laughs> life sucks. <laughs> oh man, that's so bleak. Sorry. <laughs> Taking out of context, that's the worst thing you could possibly hear right now. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I, I saw the trailer for it at the at the beginning of, of Logan, and it it to say it didn't grip me is is an understatement. It's which considering the trailer was all about something gripping something. Yeah, it's 
<laughs> it's terrible for the most disappointing reasons because it actually starts off quite promising. Now, I was unaware that it was a meant to be a horror film and as we said earlier on I don't like horror films Event Horizon ruined me uh, in terms of horror yeah I can see um, that <laughs> and I sat down watched the trailers and it comes up with the classification it says strong horror violence and gore and I was just like I might just walk out. <laughs> I might just leave um, but I bought popcorn so I stuck it out <laughs> That's the mitigating yeah, factor. Yeah. I've spent money on popcorn, yeah. therefore I'm sticking it out. There was no one else in the screen, so I could have walked out without my anxiety tripping. Um, and I'm glad there was no one else in the screen, because I was shouting at the screen. All the time, going, no, 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 don't go in there. No, you're full. And swearing a lot. Um, but it starts off really well, and you have this idea that the, the guys are on the, the ISS, and they're waiting for a, a parcel to come back from Mars with the first samples from Martian surface. And it's all about the camaraderie. You have like a very alien type of feel to it, where they're all the banter in the cheek, and you've got Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. So, you know, Deadpool in space. Yeah, you know, it's going to be quite funny. And then they find this little thing, and then everything just goes wrong. And this thing gets out because, of course, it's going to get out. There's no drama if it doesn't. But then the film falls apart because it doesn't actually remain coherent to the premise it's set up. So. When the thing first attacks, they use an oxygen candle to burn off someone's arm. It's afraid the candle, it goes away. And then later on, they're saying, we're going to use it as bait to attract them to these, these candles that it needs the oxygen. It needs it to live. And that's within ten minutes of an extended set piece where it's outside the ISS in the, the vacuum of space. Does it need oxygen? Does it not? Where's this going? Um, and it ends up with two survivors. I'm going to spoil this film. I mean, we don't usually spoil films on this show, but I'm going to spoil this one because... It, like you don't want to hear <laughs> yeah, it, fingers it, in your ears now. It riled me up so much. <laughs> Go on, then. So you've got the two survivors. You've got Jake and Hall, and I forget the actress's name, but the, he's, yeah. going to, he's going to take the, the creature in one pod off into space, and she's going to get back to Earth safely. And then there's a ten-minute sequence where they're cutting between inside of one pod, inside of another and something goes wrong, something gets flown off, and you're not sure which one it's going to be, and then eventually you see a pod just land in the ocean on Earth, and a Korean boat goes out to see who it is. And I'm just going, Eddie's in there. Mm. It's blatantly in there. The most disappointing ending to any film ever. But it's well, yeah, it, it's, it, it's blatantly, yeah. let, let's do a second one on Earth, because it'll be even better. And, it, yeah, he opens up the hatch. You see Jake and Hall going, no, don't open the hatch, don't open the hatch. It's covered in just crap everywhere. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, cut to black. And I was just like, brilliant, wonderful, good job, guys. Like, is that coming at all for the last half an hour of the film? Okay. What a waste. So, there, there will be a sequel, there will undoubtedly. Be a sequel. <laughs> Don't watch it. Don't go and watch this film. Don't go and watch the sequel. It's absolute trash. Okay, so I, I, I was exactly right in my yeah, thinking when yeah, I saw the trailer yeah. that I was never going to go anywhere near it. Marvellous. <laughs> Regular listeners to the show might realise that I haven't sworn yet. I know. That's because we have kids in the audience. We're doing really well. We're, doing We're really, being really, really restrained. Because well. uh, I, I, I was aware there was a swear box, so I went and took 30 quid out earlier to cover it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, we're doing all right. We're doing, we're, we're but doing this, good. this next bit might rile me up because you're about to say, let's talk about Iron Fist, aren't you? <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. All right. Do you want to start? <laughs> While I sharpen my claws. <laughs> okay. So. We've, we've had the, the wonderful of Logan 
the terrible of life, and now you've got the meh. The meh of Iron Fist. Fist. Yeah, yeah, that just about <laughs> sums it up. Like, the first two episodes, I kind of let them get away with what they were doing because it was an origin story for, for Danny Rand to some extent. And I thought, fair enough. You've still got another 11 episodes to make this good. Um, so episode three kind of started picking up, but it wasn't until episode four... Um, and the hatchet fight in the corridor in the elevator. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, finally, they're doing some callbacks to some old-school kung fu. Great, this is what I've been waiting for for the last three and a bit hours. And then the next few episodes were also good, up until the drunken master homage. Yeah, okay. And then from that point, from the twist about who Clean Wing was, and the end of Madame Gao, from that point on, the last five episodes, I was just like, this this is really tedious. Mm. Yeah, you see, it was I mean, always starting out on a bit of a loser with me because I was never a fan of Kung Fu. I always found it to be one of the most irritating martial arts, but that's just oh, me. Oh, man, no, 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 but like the old school Kung Fu movies, the old Bruce Lee films, uh, and then Donnie Yen and his Ip Man trilogy. Well, there's a fourth, I think, as well. They're all great. That's How do you not like the Wonder Woman? Okay, no, no, fair enough. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I felt that a lot of the fight choreography in this was just dull. Oh yeah, it's a delight, which is why I was so disappointed with it. Yeah, like, I wanted, I wanted wire work antics. You know, I wanted like Matrix levels of wall flipping and ass-kicking. Mm. Um, and instead I got a really, really sulky guy who couldn't work out whether he was sulky or happy to be back, whether he wanted to live the pious life of his Kung Fu-inspired monastery or whether he wanted to be the boss of his multinational organisation again. There was, like, no coherence to his character at all. Well, and I think the problem was, was that it took them four to five episodes for him to actually figure out why he was even there. Mm. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, we've said this before about kind of Netflix and Amazon programs that just because you have 13 hours in which to tell a story doesn't mean you have to spend four hours just messing about before you get to it. Yeah. You've got to still engage people from the first episode. And uh, I watched the first episode of Iron Fist and I went, he's a sulky teenager. He's essentially, well, what, what they did in those first few episodes was they did a particularly bad retelling of Oliver's story from Arrow. Yeah. It was note for note perfect of, of what happened in Arrow, and Arrow did it really, really well. Yeah. In this instance, not so much. I just, I got frustrated by him. He just, he didn't seem to have any conviction in anything he was doing, and was just sat around on the street just listening to an iPod. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how is this? How is this even vaguely engaging? And the whole story just revolved around him essentially abandoning his post, and then he went back and found out that oh, uh, everything's gone wrong because I abandoned my post. Yeah, that, that makes the ending even more galling. Like Davos, his friend is over there saying, "Come back, you've abandoned your post," and he's like fighting him every step of the way. And obviously, he's going to be his big bad anyway. And further yeah. on, and then at the end, he goes back because I abandoned my post, and it's all gone to. Poop. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, pick a side, Danny Rand. Mm. <laughs> uh, so the main plot line for me was just confusing and dull. The best characters in it were the Meachams. That was the most interesting part of the plot for me, was uh, Ward, 
and uh, I can't remember the, the girl's name. Um, and their family interplay, and then you know the, their dad being locked away in a room, and that was that was all really interesting, and was kind of like uh, a corporate a corporate espionage type storyline that was going on within all of this. And I found that really interesting. I didn't even like that. I found the redemption of Ward as a character very very good. His yeah, yeah, his yeah, his arc, side. I thought, was brilliant. That aside, his arc was pretty good. But yeah, so, like playing on the naivety of, of Danny Rand for so long, I just it got frustrating. It got like watching Sons of Anarchy towards the end of, the, of that run, where it's just like, you're just causing drama for drama's sake, now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't disagree. <laughs> but it Luke caged itself a little bit as well, I think. As long as Madame Guy was still out and the hand was still a thing seemingly under her control, it was reasonably compelling. Because mm. you knew they were probably setting up for the Defenders, probably setting up for the Beast probably seeing where that goes as soon as Madame Gao gets arrested and then Meacham's father and uh, was it Nakuto the other hand member the yeah, other yeah, hand yeah, yeah Bakuto or something Bakuto that's yeah. the one um, then it got really tedious because it was like oh it's hand fighting hand I mean what's the point yeah, literally one hand doesn't know yeah. what the other's doing <laughs> sorry and I do I do understand that <laughs> I'm, very, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to give them a little leeway because I know that in the comics the hand has been run by many people. Daredevil's run the hand, the Wolverine's run the hand, you know. So there is that. But to do that now just doesn't seem to make any sense with regards to what they've set up so far in Daredevil season one and two, Jessica Jones, which as far as I'm concerned is still the best of all the series. I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, and Iron Fist and Luke Cage. I think it, it missed out on a lot of opportunities. There, there were moments that were just crying out for other characters to turn up, like when they were sat planning the assault on the building towards the end, and they're like, oh, well, you can't do that, you're not bulletproof. And I was like, but you know someone who is? <laughs> Get him in, that would be awesome. It would almost have been better if they had done Iron Fist as a backdoor cameo. Like, like they did Spider-Man in um, Civil War. Mm. You know, they brought Iron Fist into the Defenders at that point. Then, you know, that then ties off um, the hand from season one to a Daredevil and gives him a reason for being there. Mm-hmm. But having him, like, pad out 13 episodes just sucks. Unfortunately, um, Defenders has just wrapped filming, so they can't even course correct. Question. I mean, you say about the can't cause correct. Maybe they kind of like uh, sometimes when they're just filming stuff, even without feedback, they do learn something about the character and about kind of like sometimes it's too late to go back and reshoot the whole thing. But they go, maybe for this we'll do this, and maybe in the second series we'll do this. So I mean, I think if there was enough meat on the bones there to be able to cause correct. And yeah, to go in an interesting direction. They could probably flesh out Danny Rand's character a little yeah. more, certainly, but. They've undermined everything they've done with the hands so far. Well, well, what have we got in between now and Defenders? Is there, is there anything else? That, that's it. That's so it. Yeah. essentially, you're left with Danny Rand being off in the middle of nowhere. And as far as I was concerned, that the main the main things that were drawing all the series together was either the hand or the uh, the genetics company that were making the super uh, yeah, serum nukes super serum. Yeah, yeah. From, from Jessica Jones. Um, I think it's the hand. I think. 
I think it's the hand primarily because of the Electra plot twist in the Dead of uh, the, the, Yeah, the thing, the big hole they were digging yeah. in the middle of New York that they didn't really explain. They're clearly looking for the beast. Yeah. They're clearly looking for the beast. Like, it, hopefully, the defenders won't suck. Hopefully, Iron Fist is the hiccup. Um, well, which is usually really positive on this show. <laughs> I think this is us struggling to find positive things to say about, about this. But, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was inevitable that there would eventually be a Marvel series that would that we'd come out of feeling slightly let down. And I know with Luke Cage, we came out the other end of it thinking that, you know, the first half of it was all right, but that it was they never really had the bad guys to kind of make it seem threatening or make it... Or well, Cottonmouth was great. Yeah. Cottonmouth was a really good bad guy until they killed him off. Yeah, for for no reason. And then the, the, fair play to Mahershala Ali for going on to win the Oscar as well. But you know, he was the good bad guy, and Diamondback was just terrible. The second he half was, of the yeah. series suffered really badly. It's the exact same, the exact same thing with Iron Fist, Marlon yeah. Gao, and then uh, Bakuto. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're not happy with with Iron Fist either. <laughs> I'm trying to think of positives to take from it because I like to be. Positive, it, it, it finished <laughs> <laughs> eventually. <laughs> positive, it wasn't 14 episodes. Well, uh, okay, to, to, to put things into perspective of how forgettable it was, I actually had to sit and watch the last episode again yesterday because I'd completely forgotten what happened at the end of it. It, it had that little impact that I was like, watch it again. I went, all oh, right, okay, that's what happened. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna give it some positives. Just, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, you know. Flip the table on the norm and be not cynical for a second. Um, <laughs> You're going to be the optimistic one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> See how far we've fallen, folks. Um, the the drunken master fight was really good, and that's that's it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> drunken master fights are always good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong. See how. Yeah, you, you use an analogy with... Um, Come on, jump on the mic, sir, because people won't be able to hear you. Use an analogy with the, um, uh, with the Avengers. I think we could see kind of something Hulk-esque, maybe. With the Hulk movies, they never managed to get him to work solo before. Mm-hmm. Then you have in the Avengers, who wouldn't love to see that Hulk in, in its own movie now? So, like, I think it's very easy to team up. Like, Danny Rand could be a really interesting character in that, and then they're queued up for Series 2 to do something... A lot more special. I mean, I, I'm not quite as negative as you guys on it, but <laughs> I do think it had its balance. It wasn't structured. It wasn't structured correctly, but I, I think there's enough meat on the bones there, as I say, to kind of spin it into a really interesting character for the for the defenders and then series two. Uh, to an extent, I agree. I, I do think that they can update Danny Rand, or we, we might see an evolution of him in the defenders. My concern is what the plot of the defenders going to be now. They seem to have taken away the building blocks of it in Iron Fist yeah you see that's, that's, that's the thing that, but that like, have they taken them away or have they put them in seemingly disparate places ready for where they need them to be they've, they've made the story? The, they've made the hand look incompetent within, within fighting and two separate groups of the hand they made the hand look incompetent um, and they've got two characters like Electra and Colleen Wing both great characters who have they had the potential to be so much better than just a plot device. But imagine you get, you bring in, like, you've got these two disparate groups of the hand and you get one charismatic leader to come in and unite them and then that makes them the great 
enemy you want them to be. Like, there's so many ways which you can spin this out. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's the same writers who are behind Iron Fist who are doing The Defenders or who's running that, but... Uh, I'm sure the people overseeing the series as a whole will be the same. Uh, well, I mean, I'm guessing that they're going to have people from each of the shows that are going to be involved, like, uh, on the who produced each of those separate shows are going to be sort of teaming up as writers, mm-hmm. and that could kind of really save it and really put it in an interesting position for the future. Yeah, it could do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving up entirely. Like, I think what would be cool is we've established they can bring people back from the dead. Yeah. So I want to see them use their powers to bring Kilgrave back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, batting average is three out of four, though. Hmm? So your batting average is three out of four, yeah. which are really good. So the chances that defenders are good is still... Well, you say that. Like, <laughs> Daredevil Season 1 and Season 2 were generally really, really good shows, but if they didn't have the villains they had, they wouldn't have been. Daredevil Season 1, without Kingpin, would not have been as good as it was. He made that series. And Daredevil Season 2 was split into three, four-episode stories. And it was kind of disjointed. But without the Punisher as an overarching character, again, the flow would, would have suffered somewhat. But that, that's part of their writing, is they did put those elements in. <laughs> I, I, I mean, are you saying through that that you didn't uh, like the portrayal of Daredevil on Zone and his team? No, I'm trying to say that really strong, in, in, terms of, in terms of three out of four, I think the, the only... The only truly great Netflix series so far has been Jessica Jones. That had a compelling lead actress and a compelling villain. Um, the others were the others were great. Don't get me wrong, but if it, if the casting had been wrong for a certain thing or a writing for fleshing out the characters hadn't happened, it wouldn't have been as good. I think what Luke Cage and Iron Fist fail is the characters weren't quite as well fleshed out. Yeah, and, and it was the weak bad guys that, yeah. that let down both series because they See, didn't I, have a good enough foil. I thought Luke Cage, I really loved that. I thought, I, I mean, it was nice to just put it in a, even though it was still in um, the same area of the world, yeah. it was kind of like it's in Harlem. Mm. It's kind of uh, very much a, a black theme show. It had uh, different music, a different feel to it. The music was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I thought just because of that, it was just wonderful to step into something which really felt like a very different world. Yeah, no, I, and I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I mean, we, we said on the show before, um, the callback to sort of 60s and 70s black exploitation movies in Luke Cage was great. The disco soundtrack, and then the modernising of that to the hip hop soundtrack was also great. And from someone who's an audio engineer and has done film for, uh, sound for film, I really appreciate when I see really good sync like that. It was great, um, which I think makes me more gutted for Iron Fist because they could have called back properly. To kung fu films, but they didn't. Didn't forget Method Man as well. That cameo. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. So I'll let you get your show. Yeah, and another thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good at being in the audience. <laughs> no, no, this is good because I mean, cool. no, we we get feedback from people quite a lot saying that they listen to the show and they just want to chip in with arguments. So you just kind of made the point there. I that just people just, just <laughs> get involved. <laughs> chat away so yeah it's good we like the live vibe it works yeah it's pretty cool um, shall we leave Iron Fist alone I think we've been him enough put Iron Fist in a box okay. and leave him there <laughs> okay so next year there's a film coming out called Ready Player One mm. based on an awesome book by Ernest Klein if you are a nerd or nerd adjacent or know someone who's a nerd or nerd curious yeah if you're nerd curious <laughs> Have uh, if you have a love for all thing eighties, all thing eighties, all things eighties, um, 
check out this book and give it a read. No. Or the Audible, because the Audible's fantastic and it's read by Will Wheaton. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it gets very meta because he's actually in the book. Yes. Point, well. Will Wheaton talking about Will Wheaton being president of something is, yeah, particularly good. Um, we made a list on the site of every film referenced in the book, and we are running a challenge to watch every film before the movie comes out. So I had a crack at Weird Science and Breakfast Club recently. Both fantastic films. Both fantastic films. And it occurred to me that because Anthony Michael Hall is in both films, I should see if I can get super nerdy and find some sort of weird theory. So I have. Um, My theory is this. Weird Science happens entirely inside the mind of Brian from Breakfast Club when he's stoned. Okay, so in the scene where they they all sit down and they're all smoking. Okay. So weird science is a fever dream. Yeah. Okay. We'll break it down. The essay punishment in weird science is to write an essay telling the principal who they think they are. Yes. So Brian, while stoned, explains the idea of identity through the imagination of this character, Gary from Weird Science. If you look at Weird Science, you've got Gary, you've got White, you've got Lisa, which are quite clearly a breakdown of ego, id, and superego. Okay. The mediator, the rational, and the impulsive. They're all there. It's all written down. Um, both Gary and Brian use the girlfriend in Canada trope. Yeah. They both do that. Um, Brian overhears Claire and Andy talking about a party. That party sticks with him whilst he's stoned and becomes the party at the end of Weird Science like that party at the end of Weird Science is not like the portrayal of a house party in any other teen movie no you most don't involve nuclear yeah. missiles and aside from nuclear missiles people turning blue and and but <laughs> the food the food in that is all cakes and sweets and junk food it is the ideal of a party from the mind of someone who's never been to a party and who quite probably has the munchies at this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bear with I, me. I take it the brother is his self-loathing. Sorry if you can get there. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> um, handguns are a prominent part for both Gary and Brian. Handgun is the reason that Brian is the reason that Brian was in detention. Yeah, that's right. You took it a handgun in school. Yeah, yeah. And then Lisa uses a similar sort of handgun to rescue him from his parents. What, a flare gun? It was just uh, the pistol. Ah, because Brian, it was a flare gun, flare gun that Brian had in um, Breakfast Club. Was it? It doesn't say flare gun, it's just pistol. In, in, no, it says a flare gun. He says, he said, oh, I brought a gun to school. And then he says it's a flare gun and they all start laughing at him. Oh, that's ruined. There you go, oh, <laughs> You should turn the mic around the other way. <laughs> <laughs> take it to the tape for a second there. Okay. Like, going to have to get a replay on the field. This, this is always going to be... It's like a rope. You lose one string and it's still... <laughs> this is always going to be tenuous anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's after string it all unravels. Bloody nerdy hecklers. Uh, <laughs> Gary defends the girls from the bikers. Yeah. In a very similar manner to the way that he sees Andy stand up to... Um, Bender yeah. when he's, when he's antagonising Claire and they both take place at Shermer High School the end of the end of um, 
end of weird science when she's just teaching in the school in the gym. It's the same. It's the same high school. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's all Shermery, Illinois. Yeah. So that was that was my theory. I was going to say poke holes in it, but bloody audience. There you go. It's only a very minor, very minor hole. Job here. Can you do sixteen candles with that as well, then? You probably could probably with, could, with, yeah. with, with, with his character in Sixteen Candles <laughs> yeah. as well. But I think the other thing for me, watching back a lot of these films on the, the Ready Player One Challenge list, like eighties gender politics, is sometimes kind of uncomfortable to rewatch. John Hughes, for the most part, his films are kind of okay. But Weird Science is a really, really random outlier. Hmm. Watching Weird Science is more uncomfortable with a contemporary gender politics attitude than any of the others and that would make sense because it's all coming from inside the mind of Brian while stoned mm. you know? um, but that's yeah. very good that's just my, my thoughts on the matter it's, it's an outlier because it's the only, only real John Hughes film that features someone turning into a turd a giant turd <laughs> Bill Paxton God rest his soul yeah. <laughs> so that was that was my, my theory on it Okay. Oh, I, mean, I probably have read far too much into it. Knowing you, yes, yes, yeah. yes, I can say full well that you have. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I can't really pick holes in it, given that I haven't really thought about it to any 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 great degree. But yeah, I mean, I suppose you're right that you know what what happens in weird science is just complete fantasy and is yeah. completely so far removed from all of the other John Hughes films of, of that era because they're all kind of very realistic high school portrayals uh, and yeah, weird science has giant missiles yeah. going through people's houses and people being blown out of chimneys with pianos so yeah I mean, it, 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 I suppose it does kind of work yeah. as a kind of fever dream it worked, I was probably drunk whilst watching these, <laughs> these two films again so it probably explains some of it but like even under things like in both films, both Gary and Brian use the same sort of uh, jazz scat voice. Yeah. Brian does it in the library when he's stoned. Gary does it in, in the bar. Yeah. You know, there, there are a lot of things that cross I'm over. Yes, for the women. <laughs> yeah. Lots of things but cross over. A, I think it's a, a much. I think it's actually a much more solid thing than a lot of theories like there's the, the Ferris Bueller's Day Off one where it's all in Cameron's mind it's all in Cameron yeah, yeah. yeah Cameron's mind and, and um, Grease one. oh yeah the Grease one which is the you know basically um, uh, drowning it's it's a literally a flashback of um, you know, Olivia Newton-John drowning the yeah, entire the movie. Of the film and I'm going to shift across and you guys come and join us. For, for, for anyone who doesn't know, this is Dr. Squee and John back again. It was, uh, what was the line? It was some... Um, come and sit down, guys. Let's, 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 let's all have a go. <laughs> we'll just take over your podcast. It's very, this, is, this is obviously a lot shorter than uh, than yours, your one, but yeah, basically it's um, Olivia Newton-John is drowning and John Travolta saves her and basically the, the theory of the entire movie is that it's her drowning and this is life flashing before so her So she eyes. basically just met this guy at camp very briefly and she imagined this whole romance like uh, she's actually drowning so it's flashing before her eyes this guy who she met last basically that they had a romance that she had a life that you know all this stuff happened and so the uh, car going up into the sky at the end is actually her ascending to heaven oh why because she's dead and you know what I thought that was such a fun silly theory and it's like who would object to that 
the writer or producer, I forget who it was, but they they wrote this serious thing of like, no, that is definitely not what's happened. I intended this to be a real serious, like, oh, for crap, get off your soapbox, yeah. man. It's, it's, it's I, fun. I think that one is, is reading way far too much into it. Oh, it, it is. Your one is, is actually very quite logical, really. It's also extremely pretentious. It, ego, and super it, which, I'm not going to lie, that twigged this morning on the... As I, as I woke up right so I like, Ooh, quickly just the thing is I love a bit, I mean I, I do love the theory but I almost want to go it's like yeah but it's, it's the same actor and director <laughs> writer that can help these things feel similar <laughs> I mean it's even possible that he, he doesn't have that much range with his voices <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fair what did I miss? Sorry, I um, need to get coffee. <laughs> Just the same action, the same director. <laughs> and, and Greece is all a fever dream. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and she drowns. Right, yeah, yeah no, nice. Let's keep it That's light. why she goes up to heaven <laughs> at the end. Yeah, everyone dies. <laughs> <Goes> <laughs> <to stay. laughs> so bleak. Cool. What's next? I think I'm done with that theory. Um, what is next? I have Alien Covenant stuff. Alien Covenant. Well, weirdly, I was talking about this the other day because a friend of mine was round at mine and he worked on the film. He did some of the visual effects. So I have to go and see it just so if I can try and see the shot that he worked on that he said it might be some rugby CGI. So I've Ooh. got to watch it just to see if I can tell which shot it, it was. Was it, was it um, practical or, or, or visual? Or no, he, he does, he does the, the, yeah, the roto prep work. So he does. Oh, yeah. right, right, okay. Cool. Yeah, because I think that was shot in um, Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Funny enough, a little segue, we were in Australia doing the uh, Doc 2 Festival in November last year. Uh, was it last year or the year before? No, November 20... What we know? 2017? Yeah. 2016? 2015. 2015. Yeah. And um, we were at the Fox Studios, um, and, yeah, and basically the one of the guys was going straight off of that onto the Alien Covenant, which... Uh, Basically, all the BBC staff were like, let's not bother going home and try and get a job working on that for a year or so. Can I just talk generally? Are, are we excited about anything? Well, the, 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 just, just to give you the little bit of background, um, uh, in how, how excited Brendan was when Prometheus was first going to be coming out, and then the crushing disappointment of actually seeing it. <laughs> so he's, he still hasn't quite recovered from this, so the idea of getting excited about a new Alien movie might be a little bit premature. That's the thing, it's, I mean, still a trying, to, trying to tie that in and trying to make that crew have an Alien movie experience, mm. it just it seems so tacked mm. on and so forced to try and do that. Mm. Whereas the whole idea, I don't think they intended to do this when they started down the uh, Prometheus route. They just realised realized Prometheus didn't work, it tanked, and now they're trying to backdoor it into an alien movie. Trying to make up for it, I think, mm. yeah, in a lot of ways. But it was, the thing was, it was the um, original alien movie, it was a bunch of crew chatting for yeah. a lot yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah. which was brilliant because it was, it was great script and, and great acting, but obviously Prometheus was just, I just didn't really connect with many of those characters. Like, I've said it before, when I was watching Prometheus, I was actually sat forward, like, engaged, excited. And then between the last scene with the Deacon alien and the end of the credits, something just changed. And the guys I was with said, did you enjoy that? I was just like, I'm not sure, but I think I hated it. <laughs> was that your fridge moment? <laughs> I was like, I absolutely hated it. And, yeah, Alien Covenant... I was excited by the poster that just said run. Um, 
And then I was like, well, it's a Prometheus sequel, so let's rein it in. Well, you can sell a, sell a movie from a good poster. Yeah. So. Apparently there's a th- theory that it all happens in one of Magneto's stone dreams. If there is, I'm going to go right Was he using his helmet as a, as a bucket bomb? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I saw the Last Supper prologue, and I was like, I could get reasonably excited for this. It revisited the choking scene from Alien, and even used the line, the not that bad. And it felt like they've gone, characters first, let's have them get on. Um, but then they said they're the first settlers and first terraformers, which made me think, well, where does Alien Covenant fit then? Hmm. Well, because that's the thing, yeah. Alien Covenant is set in 2103, and we know that in 2179, when Ripley returned to Earth Station... She was unfamiliar with everything. That place, the idea of terraforming, you know, it's massively out of whack. I mean, there is a thing there that it can get lost maybe somehow. Maybe they don't make it back. Maybe for some reason it gets buried. She floated through the core system for 50 years. If people had been terraforming at any point in the core system, they'd have found her life raft. Yeah. Space is a big place, mind you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, for me, it just feels like a really sort of cynical attempt. I mean, it, maybe it's going to work out great. Oh, the cynical. It just it, it feels like they've oh, got... Oh, not started on cynical. Oh, if you want the cynical... <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got... Ridley they've got... Scott recently announced that this is going to be part of a trilogy, but it's not the second film of the trilogy. Covenant is the third film. It's the second film release, but it's the third film. The final one will be Prometheus, a film called Alien Awakening, which is to come next and then Alien Covenant. So what's happened is they've watched the rushes for Covenant, and they've gone, there are so many plot holes here. We have got to retcon all these plot holes oh. with another film that's meant to go have, in between this and Prometheus. Has that ever happened in history, that the third part of the trilogy was released before the second? Not that I can think of. Mm. And who's going to... He's not really going to hear examples. that and think that, oh, clearly hot mess. Who's going to think, oh, they planned that one really well, There's that's intricate... Well, I tell you what, every time I uh, shoot a music promo, I think we're doing it a bit slapdash well. We only have a low budget, so... <laughs> yeah, that was in a recent interview, and as soon as I saw that, I was just like, OK, but it, it just covenant's going to be a mess. I feel like what they're trying to do now is kind of... Uh, because they know Prometheus wasn't popular, they're trying to get it so eventually it will join up with Alien. And people will look back and go, ah, oh, now yeah, it yeah. And it's, sense, it's now like, it's a good movie. Oh, and now we can sell it as a box set, we can happen. sell all the movies. <laughs> and then someone can cut it together like Rogue One and uh, a New Hope and, you know, I do. Yeah, like the, the, the hatchet job of episode one to turn it into a good film. <laughs> and, and not every series of films has to be an entire um, universe with spin-offs and everything. It can just be a great series of films and... Mm. I mean, okay, with, with Alien 3 and um, Resurrection, they already might have spent that one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but they were two great films. <laughs> He's a fan of Alien I'm 3. I'm a fan of Alien 3. I think that's a much more likely. <laughs> there there was a film in there. There was a good film it's, in there. I don't like, think it ended up. Alien is a haunted house in space. Aliens is a sci-fi shooter. Alien 3 is a chase movie. Mm. And it's actually a really good chase movie. And I, I, I'll, I'll give it its dues that the, the director's cut version yeah, of it is it's, really it's good really in Alien 3. It's better, certainly, yeah. 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 It's better. Yeah. But yeah... With Covenant, I'm just I'm not looking forward to it. And then they had the trailer for it, and at the end of the trailer, you got the Xenomorph on top of a dropship, head butting the glass like an absolute fool. <laughs> and I was thinking, you've got in a Jaws, mate. They can pierce metal because they beat the APC in AVP. 
a lot of acronyms. <laughs> Too many TLAs. Was he, was he uh, riding the, uh, the dropship like Slim Pickens? Yeah. yeah. He's, like, he's, he's all thin and spindly and just like headbutt in the glass. He's just like, really, mate? What's up with that? That was the Too point. <laughs> Give it a break. That was the point where I was just like, no, it's, it's lost me again. Mm. The the the. Last Supper Prologue was interesting. The actual trailer was disappointing. It doesn't look right. It looks grey rather than black. I mean, it looks... Oh, it just looks horrible. It looks like really, really bad CGI rather than an actual physical scene. That would be the shot that, that my mate worked on. I hope it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this stage, for the franchise, you've got to worry. It's game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> Who put them back in charge? in <laughs> charge? Do you want to do some sort of drop? Let's tell people about the oh, was that, was that a, mic, a mic drop? A multiple mic drop? Yeah. Candy, do you want to hear some work that radio that that Comedy Relief do? Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. I think we're getting so much better at talking about issues around emotional well-being, and thank goodness because one in four of us will experience a mental health issue. Five years ago, Cass found herself in a position where she needed help and simply didn't know what to do. I felt so depressed and so just numb to everything. I couldn't do anything. I started self-harming when I was about 11 or 12. Just those difficulties at school where I was being bullied. And And this was as young as 13? Yeah, I was 13 at this point. So you had those feelings of not feeling like you wanted to go on with life that young? It got to a point where I was also, I was really suicidal, that I was like, okay, I need help now. And if I go and do it now, I don't know what's going to happen. Wish is one of the only um, face-to-face providers of self-harm support in the UK. What we've seen time and time again is that it is peer support. That really is what makes the difference for young people who are going through self-harm. I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is a life-saving and incredible, like, life-improving service for so many people. Often, self-harm is a response to something else that is going on. It's like a release. It kind of went downhill when my mum and dad split up. I had friendship issues. I didn't really have anyone to talk to about anything. I think I was 12 or 13 years old when I started self-harming, which became progressively worse throughout the years. The more you do it, the more you become resistant to it. So you have to do it more to get the feeling that you've had when you first started doing it. If I didn't reach out for help, I would be... I've begun to help run the group now. So I've come That's back. Amazing. I've come back weekly. I've done two sessions so far um, to help run it. That's so amazing you're doing that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to ask. Yeah. Like, I'll be there every week because for how much it helped me, I, I hope that it could help someone else like that. And do you think without the Wish Centre, things would be different? Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. I don't know if I'd even still be here without the Wish Centre. No young people should have to go through such deep anxiety and depression on their own that they get into the stage that they're self-harming. So the Wish Centre is doing the most wonderful, vital and important work and saving young people's lives. I've got goosebumps just talking about it. So if you feel passionate like me, please, please donate tonight. Thank you so much. I've come to the children's ward at Redemption Hospital 
in Liberia. I had some idea of what I might experience. But nothing prepared me for seeing a child desperately ill, suffering from malnutrition. This is Tabitha and her father Alexander. When the baby starts sick? Two weeks now. Two weeks now. What was the sign two weeks ago? It was just fever. Tabitha's mum is seriously ill, so her father is taking care of her on his own. It's just awful to think that this this still happens. That there's a little girl who's so malnourished that her dad had to carry her to hospital. One in every three children in Liberia suffers from malnutrition. Put simply, they're not getting enough of the right food. She's getting a drip now to try and get her temperature down and to just feed her body. But when you when we first got here, a little stomach was just going like the clappets. She's severely malnourished. Severely? Yes. Okay. She's just three kilograms. Wow. And she's four months. Right. Okay. How they're as composed is amazing to witness. You just sort of see incredibly skilled people saving a girl's life. If her dad hadn't brought her today, she, she probably would have died. Yes, uh, yes. If, if she, the delay for 30 more minutes. 30 minutes? Yes. Wow. Uh, something bad could have been happening. And will she be OK now? Well, after we give fluid, we hope. All Tabitha's father can do now is comfort his little girl. When I left Liberia, I thought Tabitha was going to be okay. But when I got back, we actually found out that she died. Despite everything that happened, her dad insisted that we show the film. And it's incredible, isn't it, to think that in 2017, there's still children in the world that are dying from hunger. And that's where you come in. If you donate money, we can get emergency food to children like Tabitha, and they won't die. It's as simple as that. So if you can spare some money, then please... Give generously tonight. Thank you. Get involved. Email studio at superpod.co.uk. Tweet with the hashtag superpod2017. Or you can phone us right now on 02380 971 030. That's 02380 971 030. We're raising money in aid of comic relief. To donate, head to www.superpod.co.uk and click donate. 
Okay, welcome back to uh, part two of the first ever live Nerd vs. World. Now, we've got a couple of impromptu guests who've joined us to, to wax nerdy with us over the, over the last half an hour or so. Now, as you've joined up, gents, then I'm afraid you've made yourselves eligible to uh, contribute to our Nerd vs. World list of five films that you have to see. Okay, so, can, can I just ask that we all from now on talk like that drop so we get into the very dramatic Jeremy Clarkson-esque voice? Okay, prepare your films, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> All right. All right. Feedback. Squee. Mm. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, what, what we do is anybody who comes on the show, we ask them to contribute five films to our list of films that everybody needs to see. We, we compile this on the website and it's all there so you can have a look at it later on and see see how yours ranked in amongst there. But it's five films that you think everybody should see. So not even necessarily your favourite films, but just five films that you think everybody needs to see. So, John, what's up with you? Blimey, you'd have to give me about two hours for me to actually uh, compile this. Well, that was the thing, is that we, we did it very, very impromptu uh, yeah, on a show, and just so five films that you think everybody needs to see. Um, right, well, I'm going to probably go down the route of five films that, uh, or hopefully five films that I saw and I just kind of went wow, yep. which blew me away. Uh, one was Memento, mm. which... Um, I vividly remember it. I was I was sat on my sofa, just sorting out electricity bills and stuff, and it came on, and the film ended, and I was still holding that same electricity bill in my hand in the same position because it was uh, yeah, it was that captivating. Had you written yourself a note on it? Uh, no, yeah, <laughs> not to trust myself. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so that's um, that's interesting. I mean, it, an odd thing with that film is that on I think it's on the uh, the DVD release they've got a recut version of the film that shows the events in chronological order. Uh, does it work? I don't know. I say, I've, I've never watched it, mm. and I'm just wondering if it would detract from the whole film watching it in the order that things actually happen. Yeah. Well, I think a, a lot of the suspense was obviously made up that you basically you were just um, not sideways at the beginning of each scene, and you're like. Mm hold on, how how did this happen? How did it get there? And then obviously the next scene is the, the prequel to what you've just seen. So that that as a, a little plot device works really, really well. Um, obviously if it goes in chronological order, it may not... It, it, I, I think it would lose a lot in the impact. Yeah, yeah, let's take the thing which makes the film special out of it and I'm sure it'll be much better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just... Make it like a thank, normal film. Thank you, the internet, but no thanks. This is a film about a guy that has perfect memory recall. <laughs> <laughs> just gets on with his day, really. <laughs> let's start the sixth sense of Bruce Willis's graveside. <laughs> plus, plus, Spoilers! Uh. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I think the uh, thing about that film is I've I've watched it twice actually before, and the second time, even though I left quite a bit of time, it still wasn't long enough. Like I feel like I have to leave it long enough that somehow I forget everything about it because it's so brilliant the first time. It is a brilliant film. I, I don't think it's it makes it any less a good film that it's about the impact the first time you watch it, like The Sixth Sense or whatever mm. else. But. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough to, to recapture the magic when you rewatch it. It's the only kind of thing with it. Mm. And yeah, putting it in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So second film. Um, second. Do you want film. me to jump in? With you, the first? you can jump in. Yeah, you okay, jump in. Give, give some thinking three. time. Has Requiem for a Dream come up before? I believe it's on the list. Yeah, I think it's on the list. 
Okay. Yeah. Does that preclude me? No, 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 no. Because no, no. <laughs> no. I think it, that's one of those films, again, for very different reasons, it's one you only watch once. <laughs> <laughs> Just because your heart can't bear it. Yeah. I mean, it is such a... Uh, it makes you feel something and that mm. that for me is is what you want you just want to feel something from a movie and it is so bleak and so dark and you you feel for the characters and you just want some of them to do something right and mm. they never do well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Darren Aronofsky's a... movies I mean Pie is one of my favourite films of all time mm. I think it's fantastic especially because it's Clint Mansell does all the soundtracks for them and oh, from, he was amazing. populated itself for one of my favourite bands in the day and the, the fact that he's gone on to do all this soundtrack work is, is absolutely phenomenal yeah, I mean, it's just so many brave choices in it, and the idea that you just—I mean, you're watching this old lady just die from her choices, mm. and and her son's just rover, and it's oh, it's just so bleak. But but there's not—I can't think of another film which I've seen which allowed itself to be that mercilessly bleak. Yeah. No one gets redeemed. No one gets better. And and the fact, but you're so trained to expect that that it's so unexpected when they don't, and and that last. Scene, which I don't think we could talk about this time, Dave. No, probably not. <laughs> but, I could do yeah, a, I could do an impression of the, uh, yeah, it's, the, um, the, the, the line, but maybe not. No. But yeah, it's it's a very special ending. Okay, no, a great film. Not a happy ending, though. No, no. no. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I'm busy looking on the internet I, trying, I to, trying to figure it out. You go with another one. Station Agent? Has that come up before? Oh, no, Ooh, that's, that's... Yes. I didn't a, even know a that film. young Peter Tinklage? Yes. Before that's he a great uh, film. Uh, was known for anything, really. I don't think he'd done anything. No. He probably appeared in some stuff as... I think um, he'd been an elf by that point. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of those times where he's kind of... No, I don't think he'd done elf yet. The movie... I think he had. I think it was. Let's go to the tape. <laughs> we'll look that up later. But um, Elf, as in the Will Ferrell. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, it was, was, it was, was pre Game of Thrones, I think. Because I'd, I'd not heard of him before, and I, I, I think I saw Elf when it came up. But anyway, regardless, he's probably had popped out in uh, quote unquote little people roles. Yeah, the ones which people shoved him, but he'd never been a lead in something that I remember anyway. And certainly not. He's not leading now. Uh, so what, what's the premise of the film? I, basically, I don't know oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Let me start from the beginning. So basically, you get this guy who, um, partly because of his his height and the way the world treats him, hates the world yeah. and just wants to live a life by himself. And uh, you know, they've got these wonderful scenes where he goes into a shop and people are trying to take photos of him, and you feel his discomfort, and you feel again, you feel stuff. Uh, and then someone dies and leaves it like he works in this uh, model train shop. And the owner dies and leaves him the station house, yeah. and he's big into trains and stuff. So he goes to live in this train house, and uh, the guy who's reading out the will goes, "It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's great, it's very picturesque, but there's just nothing up there. And his face just lights up. <laughs> it's ideal. Yeah." And and there's two other main characters in it one of which owns a concession stand outside this train station and another one who's this uh, lady who's do I, is she a teacher I forget I'm, I can't remember I'm watching a little while but it's about how kind of each of them are really dysfunctional as yeah. people and not because of his height just because of kind of the way he views the world and everything and between the three of them they become a person sort of you know and, and they do make Again, there's some nice points where they make poor choices, so it's not just a clear run to, oh, we found each other, let's be happy now. No, and like, to begin with, they sort of, some don't like each other. Yeah, it's, it's a real outsiders film. Yeah. It's a group of outsiders. But yeah, I remember it being very good. Yeah, I'll no, add that to my list of films to watch. Very nicely shot as well. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, a bit of a curveball here. Singing in the Rain. Okay. That's fine. Is, um, yeah, yeah I, I think I was probably about 27 when I watched this. And 
<clears throat> you know, as a as a twenty seven year old, you're like, yeah, singing in the rain musical. I don't want to watch that. But I sat down and watched it, and it was a, a beautiful film, and it just flowed very nicely, and it was very optimistic, and um, and some amazing imagery in it as well. Yep. Some really, really, uh, really nice, What's iconic imagery. I- iconic point, imagery, yeah. especially the uh, the sort of dance sequence with the big infinity kind of staircase thing, and uh, yeah. So um, yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a genre movie, and obviously, kind of, there's nods to a lot of it in La La Land as well yes. um, that I watched recently, which I really enjoyed as well. He did too. Yeah, I'm yeah. still not going to watch it. So I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I'm a musical curmudgeon, I'm afraid. Uh, it's <laughs> It's, it's good it's, it's, um, especially anybody that works in the uh, TV or film industry um, when they watch it they will they will just get every single scene it uh, works really well it's the same with seeing in the rain exactly like, yeah there's Ex- lots, of, lots of behind the scenes and the, the blending of the diegesis yeah with yeah. that it's great um, but uh, but yeah no a, a, a good feel good movie a slight polar opposite from uh, Requiem from a Dream <laughs> <laughs> it's the anti <laughs> it needs one every every top five list has got to have that one go to feel good film mm. I think so yeah it's a good shout cool there's a little known film called Guardians of the Galaxy no I'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> no uh, I mean this I think is a feel good film but it doesn't uh, again it kind of takes you in an interesting direction with it Mr Smith Goes to Washington now uh, it's Jimmy Stewart known for uh, It's Wonderful Life and it is him with Frank Capra the same pairing as, as as from that movie and it's kind of political drama but uh, what I love about it is uh, I think some movies these days are sort of scared of having an innocent character something I think Marvel did quite well on TV it's like they you know love or hate the Flash I mean I think is fantastic but he is just a hero he's just a, a um, light positive hero kind of character and so is uh, so is Mr. the uh, titular Mr. Smith in this Jefferson Smith in this movie played by uh, James Stewart and he uh, is basically he's a scout leader who's just like the biggest rube you're ever going to meet and he gets chucked into the political machine in Washington and uh, there's this guy who used to work with his dad who's become the most cynical a-hole I hope that's okay uh, you know known to it's too late now uh, who's become the most cynical person known to man uh, but because he used to work with his dad he sees his dad in this this guy and he sees the innocent that innocence that he used to have before he completely sold out and you just see this guy gets totally pooped on, uh, but eventually it kind of turns around. But there's a wonderful scene where they filibuster, which kind of like now every time you hear filibuster in any American news story, it's always really, really sad what they're doing a lot of the time. But in this, it's it's the true meaning. He st- stood there for like hours and hours just talking. I mean, Alan must be sympathising with this character about now. <laughs> um, and the second he stops, then then he loses. Yeah. So he just keeps on talking till. Well, I won't, won't ruin the ending, but, you know, spoilers, it's only 70 years old or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's a real good, feel-good movie, but it's kind of, uh, yeah, it t- takes you through places along the way, I think. Sweet. Hmm. Three. Um, oh, well, I, I just came up with a whole bunch that all came out and, um during the late 90s which was a kind of good time for movies because it was very this sort of weird dystopian future unfolding um but i i got to say fight club um, mm, yeah it, excellent film, it's yeah. such um had such an impact on me when i watched it and it was like it was kind of almost pre-internet um kind of 
time and you kind of watched it and at, at the time as well uh, for me being someone in their late 20s I was kind of it was like a wake up call really it was like oh yeah it's these things aren't important and it was a um, a really well, it was a, it was, a, it was a interesting message and obviously being Fincher as well um Every scene just looks delicious, mm. um, and and some amazing performances as well. So, um, um, yeah, it still it still stands up. Yeah, it does. Um, and there's and there's just so so many things in there that um, are are important to filmmaking. I think it's on the list already. Oh, yeah. oh is it? it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a. A, it's fine because it, 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 we actually end up with the list being ranked. So there are there are some at the top that have like seven uh, or eight votes, and then it, it, it gets further down the list. So it's the, on the, the more player, obscure. It's on the Ready Player One list as well. It is. It's a really obscure reference. They walk past Holliden's house while searching for an egg. Uh, what the the, the paper? Um, yeah, the, the Paper Street House. Paper Street House. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But also as well, there, there's so many things in it. Me being a bit of a kind of tech head as well. There's so many interesting. Um, uh, Shooting methods and and things that just There's all the subliminal flashes of him early on. Yeah, yeah, and the kind of um, the kind of um, and I will use the word time slice, not bullet time, because mm. I do know um, uh, Tim McMillan who invented the time slice camera, not way before the bullet time camera. But anyway, that's a whole another legal battle that, <laughs> that didn't really happen but um but yeah and uh, it, there was just so many things in there that i that just really um just stood out and uh made me made me go wow and he, uh, to be fair um i got the dvd and uh basically listening to the audio commentary it's one of the first dvds i think that i listened to audio commentary yeah. and listening to fincher uh, norton and, and brad pitt it was amazing because you had this juxtaposition of, of um, Ed Norton being like this super intelligent guy and then Brad Pitt going, yeah, look at that, whoa. Um, and then I think there's Helen Bonacarta um, on yeah. one of the other ones as well, which it's, is a totally... It's one of the first comedies I've ever, I ever listened to, Yeah, that DVD. Yeah. Um, I love that. When they're fighting in the car park towards the end, Ed Norton threw himself down those steps. Yeah. Like... 14, 15 times, but they used the first take. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, weren't even, they weren't even filming for the other ones, they were just putting his <laughs> leg. How many times are you going to do this before he notices? Um, <laughs> I think he's actually broken something sonic, get him to go again. Fincher just one more. Fincher talks about how the continuity department kept sending it back because there's a car crash scene um, where you know obviously Tyler Durden's driving before the crash but after the crash Ed Norton gets out of the driver's side oh that's right and the continuity team kept sending it back saying you've made a mistake and he's just like no no I haven't made a mistake <laughs> watch the end of the watch film, the end of the film. Yeah. spoilers and, and strangely enough I I watched it on DVD I didn't see it in the cinema and I I didn't get it until the end which was good. Yeah. Mm. And then the brilliant thing is when you watch it again, it's a totally different movie. Yeah. If you didn't if you didn't get it, the um uh, you know, the, the dead Bruce Willis I got straight away because you see Bruce Willis dying yeah. on the floor and I kinda yeah. like, Well, oh, hang on a minute, he's yeah. yeah. Yeah, but anyway. Um but yeah, no, I didn't I didn't get it and I'm glad I didn't because when I watch it the second time you go, Oh, Marla isn't insane. Yeah. Um so you know, you get two two quirky movies for the price of one. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Excellent. I'm going to go next with uh, the Blues Brothers. 
I'm sure it must be on your list. It's on your list already? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, it's phenomenal. I mean, there is everything in there. There is uh, such fantastic comedy. They are cool. They just, like, they are They are still um, a, uh, like, if you see that picture, you know that represents cool. Yeah. Uh, there's such great guest stars. You've got, like, uh, Carrie Fisher. You've got um, uh, John Candy. Uh, it's just, people just pop up for these moments, and they're just wonderful. The music for it, they actually went to I mean they'd assembled the band which is used when they were doing sketches on Saturday Night Live and these were for like three minute songs and they'd got genuine bluesmen who'd been behind some of the blues music for the last kind of 50 years they they were the guys and they assembled them into a band and so when they were doing the film it was just there and when they wrote it apparently they wrote like a double script they just just kept writing they just didn't know when to stop so they had full backstories for all of them you ha- could have had a, a um at least 15 minute section all of them and how they got some then they'll go oh no we actually need to make this a sensible next film the music is is spot on all the people they got not just for the Blues Brothers band but Aretha Franklin Cam Calloway uh, it's James just James Brown James yeah. Brown oh jeez oh. yeah um I mean, just it's stunning. <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of much to say wrong with it. And anyone who thinks that they're above musicals, I want to go this. Uh, and I would agree with you. I mean, it, it it was actually very, very late on. I finally got around to watching Blues Brothers, and I would have probably been in my early thirties before I saw it for the first time. And it was phenomenal. I loved it. And yeah, I've, as I said, I'm a bit of a musical curmudgeon, but that as a film, I, I thought was was stunning. I mean, obviously, you know the songs from it. You know that it's Dan Aykroyd and, uh, and uh, Belushi, and they're a classic pairing. And I've seen them in a whole bunch of other stuff. And I have no idea why it took me that long to get around to actually watching Blues Brothers. But when I did, yeah, it's utterly utterly fantastic film it's kind of an entry level musical as well I think yeah it's been um, a lot of a lot of true musicals um, the source of the music is often it's about diegesis whether on screen or off screen or imagined in Blues Brothers they're playing the music so it's, it's, it's on screen sourced whereas in Singing in the Rain for example a lot of it is uh, an emo- it's it's emoting through music, the feelings of the characters, mm. whereas in Blues Brothers, it's not necessarily different. And they started as musicians in in yeah. uh, Seeing the Rain. That that was they hired musicians. It was the fact that uh, I believe it was uh, Dan Aykroyd was originally into the music, and he played it for John Belushi. And he goes, "Oh, we got to do these things." And to be honest, John was going, "No, shut up. <laughs> We're going to sing." Yeah, right. And so he played the music for him, and they just sit there, probably getting stoned for kind of hours, listening to this music. And he goes, "Yes. Yeah, so when do we start?" Yeah. <laughs> and and he got so much into it. And they've said in interviews before how like uh, yeah they they weren't singers they just became good singers they practiced they worked hard Mm. at it the effort that it takes to become that good and given that you've got these characters who are too cool for school and then the next minute they can (laughs) jump into a dance number and do that little tippy toe scene and do it seamlessly and then be cool again the next scene not many people can pull that off no The whole shake your tail feather um, yeah. dance sequence is my favourite dance sequence of well, that. And <laughs> that shouldn't work. It should not work in that film. And then still, then go. It's like hit it, you know, yeah. and then just be cool again. But it's um, but obviously classic John Landis. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And the thing is, as a kid watching it, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, no, that that I get that, I get that. You know, all of the just stupid stuff that if you run it past a suit, an executive, they'll go, uh, well, what, what's, why is 
what's the relevance? It's just because it is so ridiculous, so over the top. It's, it's a bit like the um, that shot with the uh, the neo Nazis when they drive off the um, the overpass, and then the car's like a mile up in the air. It's like there's no reason for it. Like, it, just, <laughs> it is just funny. I think it was a much freer time. I think for filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, and strong. Well, stronger, stronger, staunch directors uh, back then. Um, yeah, directors who didn't have to make a name to be able to have studio backing. Mm-hmm. Now you find they have to tow tow the line for three or four films, then they can make their their passion mm-hmm. project. So sort of thing. And the thing is, I kind of uh, because. I think because the style of the movie, uh, it's so accessible at any age. I remember watching this when I was a kid. Probably shouldn't have done, but uh, I remember watching it. And then, so when my son got to the age where I was like, he was about something like twelve or something. I was going, "Oh, it'll be fine." There's a couple of swear words in there, but it's pretty mild. I'm pretty sure. And I just kind of, I blanked out the swearing because yeah, it just—that's not what it's, it's about. Not it's a part there. Of it really, it's yeah. not. <laughs> but if you watch the first five minutes of that, mm. oh, they enjoy the F word very <laughs> strongly. It, it's it's like yeah. Uh, yeah, Patrick Stewart and Wolverine. <laughs> Yeah. They're having fun with it. I've had a similar experience with the film Heathers, where you remember it a certain way, mm. and then you introduce it to someone as something else, and you watch it like, oh, it's really not. I, I, I described it as mean girls with angst <laughs> <laughs> to someone that I was seeing. It's like, oh yeah, let's watch this then. It's like, oh fuck, this is a really, really awkward film to be watching right now. I just. I just mm. <laughs> Okay, yeah, okay, one. next, next one. Oh, this is a tricky one. Um, I would probably say... Um, I'll probably say The Evil Dead. Uh, awesome. Um, the original Evil Dead, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say, the original yeah. too. Yeah. Um, at, the, at the time, it was on, on, the, on the band list, the BBFC band mm. list of what was classed as video nasties um and it was a really kind of bizarre rule because um home videotapes came out and there wasn't any classification Mm. system in place um so they they kind of scrambled and went oh oh, um you know cannibals oh no that's terrible We'll, we'll ban those and that's got chainsaw in the title, so let's ban that and and, and you know anything that that was a little bit you know counterculture, so, you know stuff got. Yeah, it's just got banned. Things got banned for having nunchucks in them and stuff. You know, but, but yeah. long term, didn't that become the best thing to happen to these movies? Maybe yeah. not in the short term. Maybe it might have messed them around in the short term, but long term, that's why they're remembered and why yeah. they survive, and why sometimes we even watch some of them and go, "How is that on this list?" I mean, not just to stay, uh, tamed by today's standards. There's some of them where you go. How was that not tame even then? You know, yeah. but but now I can remember watching like a eighth generation copy of the Evil Dead, which probably added to it. Yeah. A lot of those um, video nasties as such were sold at um, like uh, comic and video fairs, mm-hmm. um, and my friends used to bring them back, and we used to watch them. And he looked, you know, it, it, it added to it. When you watch a Blu-ray version of it, you kind of go like, mm, doesn't really have the same impact. Yeah. But um, but yeah, just just watching Evil Dead, and again, it was it was just the humour um, that you could make uh, a horror movie as such but it was it was funny and, and yeah. Bruce Campbell is, is genius Bruce Campbell is a genius uh, you know he he literally just lights it up every scene he's in yeah um, and and also uh, for me um, being um, being a filmmaker as well it was just seeing all of these techniques that they use very very simple techniques to solve a simple technique to solve a complicated problem um, 
and you know the the easiest methods always the best so yeah i I always put up there with kind of the early peter jackson things in how they Mm. managed to accomplish things on a very very tight budget yeah uh, and still make it look amazing on screen like bad bad taste being one of my particular favorites yeah yeah so um so yeah and, and obviously there's been a been a huge huge legacy with um with the evil dead franchise and obviously with um Ashbury's of the evil dead as well oh, have you been watching that i've i've watched the first series i haven't yeah. watched the uh, the second yet but um but yeah it was just yeah it's just um you know i was just trying to think of horror movies and i just thought well that was the one that stuck out that that again I, I just got it it was like oh no i get it i get what you're doing and a lot of the time some of the greatest movies that come out are the ones that the studios don't think will work but it's the audience that connects with it and when the audience goes yeah no i get it i get it i get what you're doing um it it's um yeah is a is a winner i i enjoyed that with those movies that um the the movies don't like add up so the second one uh, it suddenly f- went from being four of them to two of them well, and then the third yeah, one it doesn't quite kind of with the second remake. one is kind of like yeah it's like yeah. half a yeah. remake of one and then a continuation and then the weird continuity error at the end that happens between the end of two and the start of three yeah and it's all a bit weird but in the TV show they did a little callback to that the other on one of the episodes where he's trying to recreate what happened and he's going it's like uh, yeah the book was down there was it over there <laughs> a reference to a changing position yeah. in the different movies it's nice um, yeah no, and Army of Darkness as well that was um, that, that, I yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a hilariously wonderful film yeah. I, I love that so, some of the visual effects in the Army of Darkness is pretty phenomenal yeah. for kind of pre-CGI all the practical effects in there were, um, were uh, really good so, so yeah so um, Evil Dead was my horror choice cool one last one for you sir okay I'm going to go uh, as a little bit of a nod to to Sir John Hurt who we lost last year um, and Midnight Express it's one which I've uh, just watched recently myself. And, you know, obviously uh, John Hurt died, so I wanted to kind of look up some of his films. And something you could say for him anyway is that he always picked different roles. Mm. He, You know, you definitely couldn't stereotype this guy uh, and has so much of a more interesting career for it. He maybe could have been even more successful if he hadn't, but he's got a better portfolio of films to look back yeah. on, you know? And the, the character he's playing in this is so different. Uh, have you guys seen the film? Has I, I haven't seen films? it. No. It's about this guy who is uh, smuggling drugs uh, through uh, customs in Turkey, and he gets sent to this uh, sort of really um, unpleasant prison over there. And in there, he meets John Hurt, who's playing this um, chemist who is dealing with you know, he's basically dealing with drugs in the um, in the prison, and he's this. He doesn't even look like John Hurt. He's got these little round glasses. He's got this ginger beard. He just looks so kind of quirky and so weird. And he kind of, he's got this insane giggle, which he does all through it. And I mean, part of the, a large part of why I say you need to see this is just to see him being so different. And this is a man who already, always does different things in his roles. Yeah. Managed to find another level of different, you know, <laughs> almost unrecognizable. Uh, but the, the shooting of the film is beautiful as well. It's kind of uh, it's shot across Morocco, and you've got um, some really nice scenes in the market and um, Vista kind of scenes of the area. Uh, and it's just it's it's so interesting, and quirky. It's perhaps not you know in in hindsight the whole movie perhaps kind of goes on a bit long. It's not a perfect movie by any uh, means, but. Yeah. It's very beautiful to watch and kind of just John Hurt's it's just amazing. He's just such a weird character. And I, th- I think that's why I kind of um, 
as a Doctor Who fan, like what meant a lot to me is that no matter what role he took on, he took it seriously. He wasn't above a role. It's like, oh, that's Doctor Who, that's sci-fi. You know, he never did none, none of that. It was just, it's a good role. I want to mm-hmm. play that role. That's really interesting uh, part you're in for me. This drug dealing character in prison. It's like I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, a lot of actors would have, if some didn't, turn their nose up yeah. and go, I'm not playing that. But he's going, yeah, I can put in the same giggle there, it'll be great, you know. Okay, excellent. And one last one from you, sir. Oh, dear me. So many, so many to choose from. Um, I'd, it's, it's difficult. I'd say anything by John Carpenter. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. It's tough to choose one, I'd it, say. It is. Um, and for me, it would have to be between Prince of Darkness and The Thing. Yeah, yeah. For me, it would be Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, no, I was going to say that, because, interestingly enough, I watched Assault on Precinct 13 for the first time in oh, God, 15 years or something. And then I was just... The, the, like, the sequence with the ice cream van and everything like that, I just watched it and I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's so brutal. I know, but it's it's great. It's, it is at a time where, you know... Um, you you could push things like that, yeah. or, or people like John Carpenter. Um, funny enough, I actually saw him play live at the at the Colston Hall in Bristol. Oh, nice! Uh, him and his band uh, with video projections playing live scores until fairly recently. Yeah, 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 which which was amazing. You know, and I've heard um, I've heard a podcast with him. I think it was on Mark Maron actually. Hmm. Um, and you know, he's a he's a he's a great guy. He yeah. n- total no nonsense guy. What what he wanted, he went for, and you know, um, made no excuses for it. But um, but yeah, and and you know, it, it looks beautiful as well. The sort of precinct thirteen, yeah, especially the, the new prints of it and the it's, HD prints. It's, it, it still stands up. Um, the sequel, the remake, was yeah, awful, no, but no. it lost it lost that thing. It, it was it lost the shock yeah yeah okay. but it was it was basically well it's a zombie movie really yeah. wasn't it but um well it was because it was more or less remade beat for beat with um Ghost of Mars yeah yeah it was kind of the same sort of film yeah, yeah. Um, so um, and obviously the the score on all John Carpenter movies are John Carpenter. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was quite interesting as well because he 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 doesn't know how to play. He basically said he just gets a keyboard and just has a go. But he understands it like the Halloween score. He understands exactly. That it's it's a five four time signature. It's designed to mess with yeah with you right from the start. So it's the thing is it's always nice hearing stories uh, and especially for people that that are sort of want to get into uh, film or TV and stuff and they think oh, yeah but I'm not I'm not good enough because those people over there are good enough because they're there what do I know and then you see you know your Peter Jacksons and Sam Raimi's and, and John Carpenter's that come up with these things that that are iconic and groundbreaking so um, yeah it's, 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 it's great that you know you hear these stories and you go oh you know what if they're doing it why can't yeah, we do absolutely. it so, yeah, absolutely um yeah, so a, a good watch and uh, a good score as well. So is, it, is that Assault on Precinct 13 you're going with? I have to, yeah, but the thing and <laughs> the fog and, oh, I don't know, it's, um, there's, there's all too many, but um, but yeah, I, I would say Assault on Precinct 13, even though I prefer the thing as a, as a movie myself. Marvel, what did you think of the, the new one and how that kind of tied in? Well, at the time... When I saw a trailer for it, I didn't know anything about it. I was immediately outraged, going, "Oh, they're remaking it, and why, and everything." But obviously, um, you know, it was kind of a prequel, and mm. it, it did tie in very nicely. I don't think the um, the actors were 
anywhere near as strong as the original. Um, but unfortunately, of, like Prometheus we were yeah. talking about earlier, there seems to be a running theme that acting doesn't seem that important anymore in movies to a certain extent. It's, mm. it's you know, yeah. it's, it's spectacle. Yeah, the spectacle. Yeah. You sort of have to look for Yeah, yeah. But, um, but no, it, it, did, it did work really well. It did tie in. Yeah, I, I liked it because I think I, I watched the thing first, then I watched the new one, then I watched the thing again just to see how it all married up. And it, it was quite nice. It explained a lot of things, and yeah. it, especially when... When he goes over and you see the base and you understand why the axe is in the wall and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really nice how they managed to tie the two together quite so well. Yeah, that's no, good. We do love a bit of Carpenter. Absolutely. Cool, okay, well, I think we're running up to about, we've got about five minutes left, I think. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're down to five minutes. Uh, Did you have anything else to get off your chest? Well, the, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, I can always finish it on a downer and say that you know, it, it, it appears to be the year that I'm going to be very disappointed with movies because I saw the Ghost in the Shell trailer. Have you guys seen that yet? Yeah. The, the one that they've been playing on TV, I've seen. Okay, because I, 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 it was again, it was ahead of Wolverine, and what it looks like from what I've seen of the trailer is that they've taken some set pieces from the anime, recreated them utterly faithfully, and tacked a completely different storyline around it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really annoying when they do this. It's um, They don't ever have faith in the source material, and that gets really annoying. I mean, mm. I think we're starting to see it with films like Logan, for instance, and uh, they they need to learn that, you know, the reason why these built up as these huge icons to people is because they're great, because these kind of original source materials, whether it's comics or anime or whatever, people love them. Yeah. Why, why mess about with it and make it generic? A lot of the time, that's what they do. It's just they kind of dull it down. Like, I mean, I was actually having a very intense conversation, which I tend to about this film, about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the mm. Galaxy film. Because to me, that was such a quirky original book. And then they made a generic love story. They tried to tack that on, I felt. And yeah, it yeah kind of I, re- I was really angry with the film. I was very, very but disappointed with it. But then I so. sort of, I had to calm myself down a little bit by going, the radio show was slightly different. You know, it's just a different, different. Well, yeah, slight different. I didn't, I didn't generic- like, I didn't like um, Arthur and Trillian getting together. I was just like, no, exactly. So yeah, the, um, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Disappointed Ghost by what, what Ghost in the Shell looks like because it, it, it is one of my favourite films of all time. So, yeah. Yeah, I, no, I was always a massive cyberpunk fan in the nineties. I'm going to throw myself on that live grenade of being the last thing to be a diner and say the Justice League trailer came uh, out yesterday. Okay. Well, I haven't seen this, but I know I know it's going to be disappointing as a film anyway. That's just a given. Yeah. So the Justice League trailer is parademons everywhere, and that's it. It's just parademons. Oh dear. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, suppose, I suppose they still have the uh, the, the the models from from. Um, Batman versus Superman, so it was it's cheap. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I just love to see any of the characters not being a um, Batman Batmanized version of themselves. Like I love Batman; I think it's such a wonderful character. They've even sort of taken a bit of the magic from his character. I feel, but um, but I mean, I think Ben Affleck did a I fairly thought, decent I job. I thought he was the best thing about but, the US. But they yes. did um, with Superman. They've just tried to make him Batman. Like they've tried to make him a uh, more grim, yeah. not as hopeful. But it's because their mums have the same name. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> besties. Uh, I just I I just hate this whole idea that it's like why can't they're so scared of having a character who's hopeful, and I hate that. I think part of what makes Superman's job... People always say it's like, oh, yeah, but he's he's immortal, he's immune to everything but Kryptonite. How do you destroy him? It's like, well, because his his 
other kryptonite, if you will, is the fact that he's got to save everyone. Yeah. So when he's put in a hopeless situation where you can't be in two places at once, even at his speed, that's crippling. Like, yeah. Batman can just go, oh, I can't save more. I'll just get as many <laughs> as I can. Superman can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Superman shouldn't be able to do that, and he shouldn't be just snapping necks and stuff. He could have flown to the moon. Anyway, I won't yeah. go get into that. But um, <laughs> but they're just trying to make everyone into that, and I, I worry that's what they're going to do with the Flash and with Cyborg and Yeah, I think we'll be constantly disappointed. Yeah. I will watch it, because if I'm going to slam it, I've got to watch it. Mm, yeah, um, so did you see BVS at the cinema? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did as well. My commiserations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I made yeah, the but, mistake but, of being told. But the extended told, version, you well, know, I, I was told the extended version was better, and so I got I it on Blu-ray and it I blank. watched it. Well, no, I actually <laughs> accidentally watched the theatrical version again oh. instead, and went, "Well, that wasn't any different." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I had to watch it again. And yeah, granted, the extended version was slightly less crap. Although yeah. by the third watching, had you just got Stockholm that's, syndrome? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah take that. I will like this film. <laughs> Okay, cool. So all it raises is to thank our guests for joining us, which was lovely and impromptu, Dr. Squee and John Davey. Um, we are going to be at the Sci-Fi Weekend uh, next, next weekend, weekend. Yeah. so we're doing a live sh- uh, live recording of a show there. So if you're at Sci-Fi Weekend, come and join us in the Owner's Lounge at 4.30 on the Saturday. Uh, it will be us and whichever guests we can kidnap from around <laughs> the site and force on stage with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, come along and join us, and we'll be doing loads of various panels around the weekend. So. It's too late to call Shotgun on that. <laughs> By all means, come and join us, sir. Uh, we'll be at the UK Games Expo in June. Um, and a date for your diary, uh, Star Wars Celebrations in Orlando starts in about two or three weeks. Um, so make sure to check the live streams because I'm fairly positive we will see an Episode 8 trailer reveal. Um, Sweet. But aside from that, that's all for this extended live episode of Nerd vs. World. I've been Brendan. I've been Spindles. And until next time, take care and be excellent to each other. The Southampton Superpod. (laughs) 36 hours of podcasts. Broadcast live from the Grand Harbour Hotel in Southampton.